Hey, thanks for tuning in into the City Life Church podcast. We are a church in San Francisco and we exist so that people that are far from God will encounter His presence and experience the life that only Christ offers. We pray that this word will challenge you and encourage you in your walk of faith with Jesus. Happy Easter, everyone. How are you today? Anybody else awake up in here? Shout out to Pastor Lamia and our online team tuning in from around the world right now. Can we tell our online community, welcome to the service. Come on, let's show them some love today. Love you guys. Praise God. We know that the church is unstoppable. We don't do church. We is church. Come on, somebody. And so whether we're in person or whether we're hanging out online, our hope today would be that you would experience the presence of God, that you would be encouraged. Amen. Life is already very challenging and there's so much pressure around us today. We need to experience the hope that only Jesus offers. Is that right? You came to the right place. You tuned in to the right place. And uh, we believe that God has something special for all of us. Again, Pastor Keys, you, Matthias, the crew yesterday, awesome job. And uh, we're, we, we like to not just talk a game. We, we want to be about it. We want to show up and represent. And uh, uh, our community loved and our community well. So well done. Can we tell Pastor Keys one more time? Thank you so much. Amen. It's Easter Sunday. What, what a beautiful Sunday it is here in San Francisco. And uh, someone forgot to tell Lowe's, though, that man, they needed to keep our parking open on Easter Sunday. I mean, two levels of blessings. Some of you are walking in right now because you've been doing laps, driving around Bayshore and like all throughout the community. But you made it. Praise God for that. And um, God is so good. And uh, uh, Easter is not about the Easter Bunny. Come on, somebody. After service, though, Easter Bunny is here. Here's the inside scoop. We're praying that the Easter Bunny would get saved today, all right? So as you're, as, you're, as you're taking those pictures out in the lobby today, be sure to say a little prayer. And, um, and then rumor has it that we have some crumble cookies waiting for all of us right after the service. If you're tuning in right now, door dash it to your front door. Come on, somebody. And um, we're going to have some great times together. But um, I love the house of the Lord. And Easter Sunday is a special Sunday for many different reasons. When it comes to Christians, there's two holidays that are the biggies. Christmas and Easter. Christmas because of Jesus' birth, right? Jesus was, was uh, born and, uh, you know, in a little manger. Easter, though, for Christians is probably, probably a little more significant, perhaps, because Jesus would actually die, be buried, and then he'd be raised again. That to us is huge because you can have great morals, you can have great intentions, and you can even lay your life down to protect others, but who can actually come back from being dead? Now, someone's like, that happened to my auntie. You know, they revived her at the hospital. Now, I'm talking about three days later, y'all. Death certificate and all. Jesus, three days later, came back from the grave, and that's why we celebrate Easter, because he's not dead. He is risen, and he is risen indeed, and that's why we celebrate Jesus. Amen, somebody? If you're online, again, I want to just uh, encourage you. There are some notes. Just click on that notes tab at the bottom of your screen. And um, if you have a, a phone or a device right here and you want to, like, hang with me uh, and you don't have my notes yet, just text CLC notes to the number 97000. And then all of my notes will magically appear on your screen. And it's amazing what technology will do to help us. And um, we're going to have a good time today. If you're kind of new to the journey of faith, welcome to church. We're not very religious. We're just a little crazy. That's how we get down. And you haven't even met Pastor David yet. He real crazy. And uh, today, um, we give you permission to preach with the preacher. So don't be shy, y'all. Don't be shy. If you agree with me, you're like, mm-hmm, preach that preacher. You can wave a little hanky at me. 
And um, if you disagree with me, just shut it down. Don't say a thing. Just chill. <laughs> Talk to Myra after the service. She'll, she'll take care of you. She'll, she'll straighten you out. But today I want to talk to you about the Easter message from maybe a different perspective than maybe you've heard before. I want to talk to you from the perspective of Mary Magdalene, from the eyes of a first-hand witness. Mary Magdalene, I'll be expounding on her life a little bit, explaining who she was, the trajectory of her life, and how Jesus intervened and delivered her and helped her. And uh, she's a fascinating character. Jesus is the main character. Mary Magdalene is a supporting cast today, amen? But I think it'll be an inspiration to all of us. But perhaps you came to church today. Maybe a friend drug you out to church. Maybe a, a relative, a family member say, on Easter, you got to go to church. Well, welcome to church. And uh, maybe you're kind of new to this journey of faith. Let me kind of give you a crash course on what the Bible's all about. If the Bible were summarized into one word, it would be the word restoration. It's a big book. And within this big book, there is like 66 individual books, and they all kind of tie in together. They're not necessarily written in chronological order. If anything, they were written by one author, but many different writers in a span of about 1,600 years. That's a long time to write a, a book project, right? Three different languages, one author, though, and that is God himself. And the Bible tells us this fascinating story how a God Almighty who created all things, he spoke all things to existence, into existence. He created the universe, the stars, the planets, planet Earth, everything we see and experience. He created it all, but he saved the best for last. He actually created mankind in his image. The Bible tells us in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, that he created Adam and Eve in the image of God. Like a son or a daughter, he created us, mankind, in his image so that we would have a relationship with him. Now, God loves all of his creation, including the, 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 the animal planet. Come on, somebody. He loves all the animals and critters. And, but the most important and his favorite is you and me. Yeah. Created in his image, spirit, soul, and body. We are actually spirit beings that have a physical shell. Maybe you've heard me say this before. This physical shell started with some more hair. But along the way, life happened. But we're not just physical bodies that we see ourselves in the mirror we actually are spirit beings that have this jacket called the flesh, created to have a relationship with God. But as you read the Bible, a book that has 1,189 chapters, by chapter number three, we screwed it up. <laughs> See, the way it works is this. God created us in his image to have a friendship or a relationship with him. But in order for love to be fully expressed, both towards him and from him, God would have to give us a free will. We could choose to either love him back or not. Totally up to us. We could choose to do good or we could choose to do evil. That's the, the, the privilege, the responsibility of free will beings. When you look around in our society, in our culture right now, you see the consequences of free will beings. One party, one political party says, no, we've got it down. The other political party says, no, we got it down. And then there's crashes and clashes and all kinds of craziness all in between. We all have our preferences. Some of y'all drink Coke, some of y'all drink Pepsi. Some of y'all don't drink soda at all. And you're from Minnesota, you drink pop. We all have different opinions. We all have different preferences, right? And that's the challenge and the beauty of free will. But you see in Genesis chapter 3, God had given them just one instruction. Say, hey, enjoy, enjoy this theme park that I created for y'all called Earth. Enjoy it all. There's just one thing. Just don't eat of this one tree. Man, and we screwed it up in chapter 3 of Genesis. And from that point on, sin entered this world and jacked things up. And God says, I'm going to have to restore mankind back to me. Why? Sin separates people from God. Sin causes there to be a chasm 
between people and the creator. And yet God, he created us to have that relationship with him. So he's like, no, this is not the end of the story. I'm actually going to send my first, my only begotten son, Jesus himself, who is perfect, the first son of God, so to speak. First son and um, perfect in beauty, perfect in all ways, with no sin, no flaw whatsoever. He would come to the earth, be born by Virgin Mary, and, and as, as you would read scripture and you're familiar, you've seen little crosses, he would actually lay his life down as a payment, as a sacrifice to pay for all of our mistakes, to pay for all of our sins, both past, present, and future. He paid it once and for all. Now, they tell me that here in America, um, the average American who owns a credit card owes $11,583. That's what I they tell me. Research would say that we love credit, especially being in debt. Some of you are thinking about, oh my gosh, did I make my monthly payment this month already? I'm like, that's just a Visa. You forgot about MasterCard, Discovery, Amex, right? Your Nordstrom card, your mama's card, whatever. The average American is in debt more than $10,000. Imagine if someone were to walk in this room or online talking to you and say, you know what? I'm here with a credit card that will actually pay for all of y'all's debt. Whatever your balance is, I'm ready and willing to pay it in full. And I'm like, I don't know about you, but I'll be saying, hey, hook me up, sign me up, where do I sign? I'm willing. Jesus, and I'm being a little facetious in how I say this, but Jesus came and says, look, you all are bankrupt. You all are indebted to God. The Bible says, for the wages of sin, the consequences of sin is death. We were all dead in our trespasses is what the Bible teaches us. But because God loved us, he came after us by sending his son, Jesus. So in a book with 1,189 chapters, the first two chapters are pretty good. But from chapter three on, it's all about restoration. It's all about God wanting to restore us back to himself. And the only way that you and I can be restored to God is by accepting the payment that Jesus made on our behalf. There's no other way to be reconciled to God. Jesus plainly said it like this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get right with God except through me. So by making the payment that he would make by giving his life on that cross, by dying, being buried, but then three days later being raised from the dead, he paid for all debts. Now what's tragic is that our debts have been paid, but many, many people haven't received that payment. Say, you know what? I'm willing to submit my receipts. I'm willing to submit my heart and say, God, here I am. If you can take my brokenness, if you can take my jacked up life and, and you can make that exchange and give me a new, a new life, Lord, here I am. So many people have been missing out. That's what the Easter story is about. About a Jesus who is crazy in love with us, who was willing to go all the way for us so that we could be reunited with God. That's the beauty of Easter. So it's not about the Easter bunny or the Easter eggs or any of the other things that we do during Easter season. It's all about Jesus. Let me bring you to this passage in John chapter 20, because this would be right after Jesus had, had died and had already been buried. What happened? And I think of the emotional roller coaster ride that Mary and the disciples would have experienced that, that week. Now, imagine this. The Jews at that time, they were under the Roman Empire control. The Romans, they, they were the global economy. They, they, were, they were the global empire. All the rules, all the laws, everything was under their rulership, so to speak. The Jews, they were so frustrated because not only did they have to pay taxes to their own local government, 
They also had to pay taxes to the Roman government. And they had to do all kinds of crazy things just to appease these Romans that would come through. And they're so fed up and frustrated, but they were dominated and they had no alternative. Jesus comes onto the scene and he begins to talk about a new kingdom that is at hand, the kingdom of heaven. And all of a sudden they begin to recognize that he is the king. He is the one that's going to rule. And, but he's talking in different terms. He's not talking about an earthly kingdom. He was talking about a spiritual kingdom. He would, he would teach the disciples and his followers to pray, God, let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. He's talking about this spiritual kingdom, and yet the Jews, they wanted a physical kingdom that they could be a part of. Like, man, let's turn the tables on these Romans. Let's establish our rulership again. Jesus, you be the king. One of the, the disciples' mama, actually two of the disciples, their mama came to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, uh, real quick question. Uh, could my boys be sitting at your right and your left? When you come into your kingdom and you're the boss, could one be your vice president and the other one be like the speaker of the house, <laughs> right? Because in their eyes and in their hearts, that's what they imagined when he talked about a new kingdom coming. So here he is traveling from place to place for about three years, and everywhere he goes, he teaches with authority, he teaches with eloquence, and then the ultimate object lessons. How many educators do we have in the room today or maybe watching online? Shout out to Dan and Debbie in Daly City right now. Educators, where you're teaching lessons to your kids and you have to use objects and different things, right? Jesus was the ultimate storyteller because not only could he tell the story, he could back it up with action. He talked about spiritual blindness and he would see someone that was blind physically and bam, he would heal their eyes and people were like, dang, how did he do that? He talked about being the bread of life, and he would feed 5,000 people with bread and fish. And all these different examples, he was, like, he was incredible, a phenomenal teacher and a miracle-working kind of guy. People were enthralled with what he said and what he did. So, man, the hype is real. The hype was, like, intense. People were like, dude, this guy is going to bring down the, the Roman Empire. Let's go. And he's coming into Jerusalem about his third year of ministry and he's coming to this big old massive holiday that they would have, bigger than our Easter, bigger than our, our, uh, our Thanksgiving or Christmas combined. Jews from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to worship God. As he's coming into town, people are like waving these palm tree branches and they're laying them down on the road. And people are taking their jackets, their coats and laying them down like a red carpet VIP treatment. The king is coming in. And they're singing songs. They're singing stuff like, Hosanna, Hosanna. Welcome the king to our city. So the hype is real. People are like just electric. Like, this is amazing. Everything is about to change. And in a matter of just a few days and a few hours, it goes from like this extreme high to next thing you know, it's like, what just happened? Jesus has been incarcerated. They're going to they're gonna send him to trial. They're going to accuse him of things that he hasn't done. And lo and behold, indeed, he was falsely accused and found to be guilty. It was a complete scam. It was a complete fraud. Next thing you know, they're beating on him. And they're, they're just like, they bring him to like, like the verge of death. But like, wait, we still have a cross for him. So they would nail him to a cross at a place called Golgotha, the mountain of skulls. And they would place him on this cross and they would hang him up at 9 o'clock in the morning on a Friday, surrounded by two thieves. And they just to kind of mock him like, oh, you think you're all that in a bag of chips? You think you're a king? Let's put a little sign over his head. The king of the Jews. And let's put it in three different languages. Mocking him. Spitting on him. Ridiculing him. He, he's bloodied. He's naked. 
he was so disfigured from, from the beating that he took that, that scholars would say that people couldn't recognize, is it a dude or is that a girl? It's like you couldn't even tell because he was just so like flesh and blood everywhere, a, a crown of thorns on his head, and he's hanging there gasping for life. By 3 o'clock in the afternoon, all of, all of heaven just became dark. My personal opinion is I believe every demon on this planet gathered at one spot. They came all the way to Golgotha, and they're just mocking Jesus. Look at this. This is the Son of God. Look what we can do. Little did they know that it was the ultimate setup. He actually would die, but that wasn't the end of his story. He would die, be buried, but three days later, oh, hell no. <laughs> three days later. God himself would raise Jesus back to life. And now he had paid the ultimate price, but the cave and the tomb couldn't contain him. The grave and hell couldn't contain him. He is uncontainable. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords, and he has the final say. And he conquered death, the grave, sin, the devil, demons, forever for all of us. But Mary... She didn't know. She's going through the motions. And have you ever had one of those seasons where things were good like a week ago and then like out of nowhere, what? What just happened? You weren't looking for trouble. You were just minding your own business. Things were going good. You're trying to honor God, do the right thing. And all of a sudden, you pulled a short straw. You get hit with that curveball. You didn't look for trouble. Trouble found you. Bling, bling. That's the doorbell. There's a package with your name on it, and you open it, and it says, trouble. <laughs> trouble found you. It happens to all of us. You're not looking for trouble or calamity, but out of nowhere, you get bad news. You get a setback, and you experience something. Maybe it's the, the, the loss of a loved one, an unexpected surprise that's not a pleasant surprise, and you find yourself going, what did I do? What did I do to deserve this? And your head starts to spin. Have you ever had one of those moments? Maybe one of those seasons. Am I preaching to somebody from Pacifica here today? Have you ever had one of those moments? I have. God, I thought I was honoring you. What just happened? This Mary gal, though, should be surprised. I'm going to bring you to John chapter 20 because her, her world had just come tumbling down, crashing upon her. All of a sudden, there was no hope for a future for her. All of her, not Easter eggs, but all of her eggs were in this basket. That was a joke, y'all. It's all cool. It sounded better in my head. She was all in, and all of a sudden, it's like someone pulled the rug from beneath her, and her world collapsed. He's been dead for three days. He died on Friday afternoon, and now it's Sunday morning. The four Gospels talk, talk about her going to the tomb. Three of them talk about her coming with a group of gals to mourn and pay, pay respect to their leader that had died, like a family member. That was, that was tradition. The Gospel of John tells us that she went. Watch, watch what happens. John chapter 20, verse 11, it says, Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she knelt to look into the tomb and saw two angels sitting there, dressed in white, one at the head and the other at the foot of where Jesus' body had been laid. They said to her, woman, why do you weep? <laughs> they took my master, she said, and I don't know where they put him. And after she said this, she turned away and she saw Jesus standing there, but... She didn't recognize him. That right there is so trippy. 
the very one that she's mourning, the very one that she's crying for, is literally right next to her. She didn't recognize him. Isn't that crazy how for all of us, though we might love God or care about God, there are moments and seasons in life when our head is spinning. There's so much turmoil and confusion going on. God is present, and we don't even recognize that it's him. Real talk. Real talk. She didn't recognize that it was him, and Jesus spoke to her. He says, woman, why, why do you weep? Who are you looking for? Let me pause. He's got a sense of humor, y'all. He knows her. He cares about her. <laughs> like, why are you tripping, girl? Like, he's like, what are you doing? Who are you? He knows. He knows. She, thinking that he was the gardener, said, Mister, if you took him, <laughs> I love that right there, if you took him, if you took him, tell me where, to, where you put him so that I can go and care for him. And Jesus says, Mary. That's powerful. That's powerful because not only does he care about us, he knows us. And he knows us by name, y'all. He knows exactly who you are. It doesn't matter if your head is spinning, if things are going crazy all around you, if the world has collapsed on you. He is near. The Bible says he is near to the brokenhearted. He understands our struggle. He understands our pain. And he calls us by name. And that's what she's experiencing right here. Mary, and turning to face him, she said in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. That was his title. His disciples would call him teacher. And Jesus says, hey, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go to my brother and tell them, my brothers, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And it says, Mary Magdalene, then she went, telling the news to the disciples, I saw the Master, she said. And she, she told them everything that he had said to her. Could you imagine the emotions? What a week. What a crazy few days. What a crazy stretch. From these high moments to all of a sudden, like the bottom falls off, to all of a sudden being revived again in your hopes, like, don't play with my heart like that, God. All of a sudden, she realizes that he's actually not dead. How did you do that? Straight up, you had a death certificate. The Romans, they sealed the tomb. You're dead, but you're not dead. How'd you do that? Can I remind you? Jesus is not just an ordinary dude, he is God. He's not just a good teacher, a great philosopher, a person with great compassion. He is God with flesh on. So death can't stop him. Whatever your situation, whatever your circumstances, he's bigger than that. Mary Magdalene then would become the very first evangelist in the Bible. It wasn't John. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't one of the 12 or the 11 apostles. It was a woman by the name of Mary. Let me bring you the little backdrop to her life because Mary was a very common name in those days. Mary's actually still a very common name in our days. If you're, if you're from our Latin culture, if you didn't know, I'm Brazilian. Shout out to our Brazilians. Boa tarde, Deus abençoe vocês. Amen. There's a Brazilian saying, Amen. Watching online, little emojis, Amen. In Latin culture, Maria or Maria is the most popular name for women, and it has been for the last, like, billion years. All the Marias. <laughs> Shout out to all the Marias, and half the church got up. Back in Jesus' time, Maria was a very common and popular name, always a top, top, most famous popular name. These days, you think of Jax. Jax is a cool name for kids, like a bunch of boys in our church. I think we got, like, five different Jacks. In our church, that's a cool name, Jackson. 
So cool. In the Bible, Maria and the name Jesus, Jesus was actually very popular. There are many people that their name were Jesus. In our culture, names like Susie or Susan is very popular. Um, popular names, Rebecca or maybe even Lamia. Lamia is, well, Lamia, we love you, Pastor Lamia. Your name isn't that common, but we love it. It's cool. <laughs> love you, Pastor Lamia. Let's tell Pastor Lamia, our online pastor, how much we love it. <laughs> so the name Mary, when you read through the Bible, it's actually mentioned different times. Jesus' own mom, her name was Mary. Mary, did you know? All these famous songs. Jesus' aunt, her name was Mary, Mary to Clopas. Um, Jesus' best friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha from Bethany. There's another Mary. There's multiple Marys, and then there's this Mary Magdalene. Mary was from Magdala, a town on the western coast of the Sea of Galilee. It was, a, it was a fishing community. That's why her name is Mary Magdalene or Mary from Magdala. And what's interesting about her, the Bible actually refers to her more than, than many of the disciples that were part of Jesus' original crew of 12. She's actually like a baller when it comes to the things of God. She was a faithful, devoted, devout follower and disciple of Jesus. Scholars throughout the years and in the fifth century, they, they began to kind of maybe twist the turn and they began to elasticate the truth and embellish the truth. They actually began to say that she was likely a prostitute, but the Bible doesn't actually say that about her. The Bible says that she was likely an entrepreneur. She was wealthy. And she and a couple of the other gals, they would help fund Jesus' dream team. Come on, somebody. They would fund the missions. They would fund the ministry of Jesus. She was devoted. She was committed. But in Luke chapter 8, it gives us a little glimpse of her life and possibly why she had become so devoted to Jesus. That's why I'm wanting to share with you because in Luke chapter 8, it talks about her and a couple other gals. But her specifically, it says this Mary Magdalene, she had been delivered from seven demons. Now, we don't, the Bible doesn't expound and tell us like were like seven demons inside of her or was it like she had a demon and then Jesus cast it out, and then later another one came, and he cast that one out. We don't know. In their culture, number seven actually meant the number of completion. So it could be said that the author is saying she was completely demonized. Maybe that's what he meant to say. Again, we don't know what that means. We don't know if she rooted for the Oakland Raiders or the Las Vegas Raiders. We, we don't know. That was joke number two that didn't work so good. <laughs> First service, they laughed. First service, they like, yeah, go Niners, but whatever. All good. We don't know the context, but what we do know is this. Jesus had compassion for her. He cared about her, and he set her free, and her life would be changed forever. I see some Raider fans in the building right now. Bro, God loves you, man. <laughs> Praying for you and the Easter Bunny today. Come on, somebody. <laughs> we don't know the context, but we know that her life would be transformed. And from that point forward, she'd begin to pursue Jesus and follow him and follow his teachings and join the team. Her life is actually an inspiration to us. But understanding, based on what the scripture tells us, that she was demonized in such a manner, these are perhaps some of the struggles. When I think of likely a person who is consumed by evil spirits, these are maybe some of the, the qualities or characteristics that she was experiencing. Number one, I imagine that she experienced physical and emotional demonic harassment, where the enemy was constantly playing with her mind, bombarding her with all kinds of crazy thoughts. I've actually experienced those moments where I'm just like, I love Jesus and I don't know where, these thoughts. And it's like, whoa, where's that coming from? Didn't originate from God. 
It didn't come from the pizza that I had last night. This is not of God. It's not of me. It's, it must be from the enemy. Number two, another thing that she likely was struggling with, fear. The fear of the, the possibilities. What's going to happen to me? The fear of tomorrow. Maybe the fear of the past. Maybe the fear of failure. Maybe the fear of what, what are people going to think? Fear is a real talk. The Bible says that perfect love drives out all fear. That there is no fear in God. Come on, somebody. Number three, another likelihood experience that she was experiencing would be guilt and shame. Again, we don't know why she would find herself in that predicament, but the shame, the guilt of not being able to just be a, quote, normal person, to fit in society, to be ostracized likely by her family, her friends. She's dragging this thing on with her. Number four, overwhelmness and anxiety. Could you imagine living a life where you're demonized in such a way where it has complete control over you? It's like, man, you want to do the right thing, but it's like you, you navigate towards, towards evil. Man, being dominated, overwhelmness. What about rejection? What about mental and physical infirmities? All kinds of struggles. Hashtag the struggle was real. Seven, neglect and abandonment. Who would want to roll with someone like that? Who would want to kick it with someone who's just so dysfunctional? They're up to just absolutely no good. They don't fit anything in society. Who would care about such a person? Jesus would. And Jesus did. Jesus, the Bible records, he would go from community to community, from place to place. At times, he'd be, he'd be on mission to do something like, hold up, boys, stop. I got to talk to this person. Y'all are hungry. Master, man, we've been tired. There's no fast food joints out here. We got to go into town and get some food. Uber Eats and DoorDash, they don't deliver out here. Grubhub, they don't even exist. We're going into town. And Jesus is like, all right, y'all go. I got to stay here. Why? Because there's a gal who is broken. This is another gal. She's, she's messed up. Her life is just in a million different pieces. And Jesus, moved with compassion, would take the time to speak future rather than reminder of her past. And then she, her life would be transformed. And she couldn't help her but run to her community and said, I met the Messiah, the promised one from God. See, that's what motivated Jesus. He is motivated and fueled by compassion. Do you know what compassion means? It literally means to sit with suffering. If you've gone through a season where you've been suffering, Jesus has compassion for you. He'll come and he'll sit with you because he's crazy about you. That's the kind of Jesus that we call upon. That's the one that we pray to. So the Bible doesn't like paint this entire elaborate story of how she encountered Jesus, but her life had been transformed radically to the point that she'd say, I'm all in. From all these different experiences, now she has a new lease on life, a new perspective. Maybe my future is going to be bright after all. I couldn't dream with my own mind, but Jesus came and he set me free. Think about that. Mary Magdalene is the perfect example of why God sent Jesus to us. All of us can see ourselves in Mary Magdalene. All of us have issues. All of us have struggles. I don't care what your, your educational background, your social background is, your racial, ethnic background. It don't matter. We all have this in common. We all need Jesus. And there's enough Jesus for all of us whether you're in person or online. There's enough compassion for all of us. He understands our struggles. He understands our pain. When I think of his job description and his mission here on earth, three verses jump out to me. Number one, 1 John 
3, 8, it says this, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The reason he came here was to destroy the works of the enemy, the one that came to deceive mankind in the garden in the first place. There's an enemy that opposes the purposes of God. There is a legitimate devil. In the same way that there's a God, there's a devil that resists and opposes the purposes of God. He's jealous of the relationship that you and I can have with God Almighty. He envies the connection that you can have with God, so he tries to distort it. He tries to package it and put it in the context of religion. See, God ain't looking for religion. God doesn't need a bunch of rules and regulations. God wants you. He wants your heart. He wants a relationship with you. But the enemy, no, it's about a church building. No, it's about you following all these rules. No, it's about you not doing all these different things and trying to measure up. And that's not what it's all about. Here's the, here's the conviction. When you are truly pursuing God and you want to have a relationship with him, because he's placed his spirit on the inside of you, all of a sudden he'll let you know, hey, this is not consistent with my heart. It's not good for you. And all of a sudden, like, man, God, I, it's not because I... I like that so much, and I, oh, God, I'm bummed out. Now that I'm serving you, I can't do these things. Now he actually lets you know it's not good for you. Yeah. It's not going to lead you into life. It's going to lead you into death. And all of a sudden, you're like, you know what? I don't want to do that because, God, I don't want to dishonor you. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation right there. Next week, by the way, we launch a brand-new series called Real Talk. What really matters in life? What are the issues that really matter? We're going to talk about the next week. But here Jesus came. One of his reasons for coming was to destroy the works of the devil. Second reason, he came, Luke 19, verse 10. It says, for the Son of Man, he came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. We were all lost, somebody. Imagine going on a little boat, hanging out with Clay Thompson in the bay. Woo, a little sailboat. Take a little nap, and you wake up like, whoa, where's the bay? And the wind just drug you all the way out into the ocean somewhere, and you're just drifting aimlessly towards nowhere. And all of us sound like, we need some help. There's no wind, there's no motor, there's no engines. How are we going to get back? Someone needs to rescue you. That's our picture. We were all lost, but Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to rescue us. Third reason he came, Luke 4, verse 18, it says, this is Jesus now speaking of himself fulfilling the prophecy that Isaiah had declared a thousand years prior. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news. Come on, somebody. The gospel is not bad news. It's not about church. The gospel is good news. God still loves people. This world is jacked up, and we realize, like, it's real messed up. That's why we need to hear some good news. Can I just be brutally honest with you? I get tired of Christians going on social media and putting people on blast judging people. There's enough judgment all, all around us. We're here to bring good news that God still cares about people. Even when we, we have different views, different perspectives, different teams, including, including the Raiders, God still loves us all. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. Man, we were all stuck. He came to set us free. That's why he came. That's why he came. And that's why Easter is such a big deal. Because he came and he makes it available to all of those who would believe his message. For Mary, this was exactly what she had experienced when she encountered Jesus. She had never experienced this at a synagogue before. She had never experienced this at a girls club before. 
She had never experienced this kind of compassion or love from her own family. But when she encountered Jesus, all of a sudden, her life would be transformed. She would be changed. She would be set free. It's no surprise that she would become one of his most devoted and committed disciples. When you've truly had an encounter, listen, listen. Having a relationship with God is not about just showing up on Sundays for church. It's not about checking off a little box. I did my religious thing. Check. Having a relationship with God is ongoing in your good moments and especially in your tough moments. Where you don't just say a little pray, a prayer, you talk to God. God, I'm going through hell right now. My mind is overwhelmed. Things just don't make sense. God, I know you're good. I'm not. I got issues. And in those moments of being real and talking to God, that is what a relationship is all about. Some of you come with the mindset that, man, when I get my act together, when I kind of become disciplined and consistent, then I'll be ready to connect with God. Listen, you'll never get there. Because it doesn't start with you. It's not about your disciplines. It's not about your drive. It's about an invitation. He extends the invitation. He says, man, I'm crazy about you. That's why I would put up with all that BS, all that pain, all that beating. I would hang on the cross because I'm crazy about you. You couldn't save yourself, but I've come to rescue you. Why? Because I love you. That's what this talk is all about. A response to an invitation when God says, let's get right. I love you. I created you in my image. I want to have a relationship with you. For Mary, it was real. Her life was so jacked up when Jesus came, everything changed. You might be here thinking, but JJ, like, yeah, but Jesus was all cool and all, but um, he doesn't understand my upbringing. He doesn't understand, my, like, he was cool, he was perfect. Maybe you might be in the room saying, hey, I married the wrong person. Maybe you're sitting right next to him right now. Hold your breath, now exhale. <laughs> Jesus was never, never married. He never had kids. PJG, you don't understand. You know, raising up little ones, toddlers, bottles, gummy bears, messes, crayons. My life is just chaotic right now. <laughs> Jesus doesn't have to literally experience everything you've experienced, but the Bible says that there is no test and no temptation that he didn't experience himself. So he gets it. He understands it. So you might be thinking, but can he relate to some of my struggles? Let me give you seven real-life struggles that Jesus can identify with. Just rapid fire. Number one, Jesus knew what it was like to experience exhaustion and overwhelmness. If you find yourself from time to time just exhausted, overwhelmed, he gets you. He experienced that himself. Number two, Jesus knew what it was like to be betrayed. Maybe you've had some family members or people that, that you care for. They walked out on you. His own disciples, his wingman, Peter himself, who said, Jesus, bruh, I'll never leave you. Man, when they come for you, bruh, I'm gonna, I'll be your wingman. I got you. Jesus said, nah, bruh, you don't know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> you mean well. You, you're going to betray me. And as we know, in one night, three different times, Jesus would be betrayed by his best boy, Peter. So he understands betrayal. Some of you are here today, you heard because family members or friends, maybe even church leaders betrayed you. Jesus understands. He gets you. Jesus knew what it was like to suffer from grief. Have you ever had the loss of a loved one? Brutal. Unexpected loss. Brutal. And we grieve and we mourn the loss of loved ones. Jesus understood grief. 
Jesus knew what it was like to be tested and tempted. It's like, man, he knew. It's like, man, at his most vulnerable moment, he'd been fasting for 40 days. The enemy comes and says, hey, if you really are the son of God, why don't you turn these rocks into In-N-Out burgers with animal-style fries? You deserve it. And he'd been, like, he'd been like fasting for 40 days. He was hungry, right? He understands what it is to be tempted. Jesus, he knew what it was like to experience poverty. It's like he, there's a verse that says, man, foxes have holes and birds, they have nests, but the Son of God has nowhere to lay his head. There's no Airbnb that we can crash. There's no place to go home to. And by the way, poverty is much more than financial status. You can be poor in spirit. Poor in the sense of not, not having friends. Some of the most miserable people, they have millions of dollars, but they have no friends. You can be poor in heart. But Jesus could experience, he could relate to that. Jesus, he knew what it was like to experience suffering. Emotional, mental, physical suffering. You've gone through some, some difficult trials. Maybe you've battled some infirmities in your own body, or maybe someone in your family has battled a condition for a long time. Jesus can relate to that. He understands that. Jesus knew what it was like to, be, to feel forsaken by his own pops. That's why as he hung on the cross, he says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? He felt abandoned, forsaken by God. Listen, God would never turn his back on you, but God and sin can't coexist. And because Jesus had said, hey, I'm willing to take all the sins of all mankind and place it upon myself. When he took of that cup in the garden, at that point, God the Father couldn't look at him no more because the holy God cannot coexist with sin. That's why there's such power in getting right with God, where you can actually repent and say, God, I don't want to drag these sins with me. I don't want to carry this with me, God. You don't, you don't deserve this. So God, would you just forgive me, Jesus? Would you wash me? The blood that was shed on that cross 2,000 years ago, would you cleanse me of all my sins? And as that blood that was shed for you and me, as you appropriate that, as you apply that to your own heart, all of a sudden, whew, you come into that place where you can have that relationship with God. He's not looking away from you now. He actually looks towards you. His gaze is upon you. That's the message of Easter. Jesus knows us. My friend, listen. Jesus knows you. He cares about you. Let's not limit his love. Let's not reduce him to just the template of our own expectations. Jesus transcends all that. He knows you, he cares about you, and he continues to pursue us. He transformed Mary Magdalene's life. He continues to transform lives today. Easter, like I said, is not about the Easter bunny. It's not about Easter eggs. It's not about just hanging out with family and having a great meal together. But it's about you and I receiving the love of Jesus in a personal way. Saying, Lord, I'm bankrupt, but if you're willing to pay, I, I surrender. I let go. You receive his love. And then allow him to make the adjustments that he wants to make in your life. It's not about trying to meet man's code or man's expectations. It's about honoring his heart, his expectations. He loved you. He died for you. He continues to pursue you. Easter is about Jesus not only dying, but being alive again so that we too can be alive again.
in Hebrews as we close, and I'm going to have you stand to your feet. The book of Hebrews, it says this, for the joy that set before him, he endured the cross. What does that mean? Here's a cross with all that pain, with all that suffering, with all that shame. As you read through scripture and you, you read the, the scholars of the Bible, what he experienced, where they would torture him, they would pluck his beard. They would beat him to a pole, front and back. They would shove a crown of thorns on his head. By the way, do you know what thorns represent in scripture? Demons. Do you know where your battle happens? In the mind. Symbolically, they shoved these thorns like evil thoughts on his head. Ridiculing him, mocking him. You think you're, you think you're all that. You think you're godly. You think you're the king. Take this. And they would spit on him. That was the experience the emotional pain, the mental distress, the physical pain. <laughs> On the verge of death, they're like, wait, 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 wait. We got to nail him to a cross before he passes. They would stretch his arms, nail him to that cross, bend his knees where he couldn't support himself with his legs. Now he's holding for dear life for hours. When he was thirsty, they would give him some vinegar. Every form of pain and torture, he's experiencing it. And yet, he could see beyond all that. And he says, for the joy that was set before me, I endured the cross. What did he see on the other side? He saw you. He saw me. He saw every person that's been conceived and brought into this world with all of our dysfunctions, with all of our pain, with all of our suffering. He saw all of us and he says, it's worth it. I'm willing to go all the way. The Bible says he could have just like, just said one word. Billions of angels would have come down and delivered him, destroyed all those evil spirits. But he knew that the price needed to be paid. He says, I'm willing to do it. Why? Because I love them. As Pastor Isaac said, for God, soul of the world so crazy about us for God's soul of the world he sent Jesus to die for you and me the Bible says no greater love has a man than this that he would lay his life for another that's what the Easter story is all about Mary Magdalene she could say I know for real up close and personal that's how crazy he is about us today my friend I don't know what your story is I don't know what your journey has been like. I may not even know you, but there is a God who knows you and he's crazy about you. Whether you're here in person or watching online, he knows your struggle. He knows your past, he knows your present, he knows your future and it's a great future if you, if you will entrust him with your life. The cool thing about an Easter Sunday in a moment like this is that this is the, the great exchange where we say, Lord, we come with our jacked of lives messed up lives hearts that are just messed up God you want my heart by all means 
and we receive his heart, the love of God that is perfect and pure. Say, Jesus, you're giving me your heart? For sure, I'll make that exchange. As we give him our heart, he gives us his heart. He gives us a fresh start. He gives us a new beginning. That's the story of Easter. He's not dead, but he's alive. He is risen indeed. I'm going to lead us in this prayer. <laughs> it's a prayer of getting right with God. If you've, if you've found yourself distant from God today, maybe one of two scenarios have played out in your life. Maybe one, you've never given him the opportunity to be the designated driver in your life. You've been calling all the shots on your own. You've been driving your own life and you've been driving people around you crazy. Maybe that's your story. Or maybe the second scenario, maybe at some point, you gave your life to Jesus, but you hijacked the wheel. And it's like, nah, I kind of like to be in control. Jesus, tag along in case I'm in trouble, then I'll pull you back in. Like, nah, you recognize, like, no, I need him to take control. I need, I need to surrender to him. Maybe that's where you're at today. Either way, the Bible says anyone who calls on his name, anybody, they shall be saved. So I'm going to lead us in this prayer. If this is a conviction that you're sensing in your own heart, no one's forcing you to pray. But if this is something that you're feeling in your own heart, you're like, you know what? I need to get right with God. I want to encourage you to join hundreds of people here today and those watching online. Pray this prayer with us. I believe God's going to hear your prayer and he's going to bring you into a brand new chapter of this journey called life. Are you ready to pray? Let's repeat after me. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming after me. Today, on Easter Sunday, I open my heart and I invite you in. Come into my life. I receive your love. I repent of my selfish ways and all my sins. I surrender fully and completely to you. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me a fresh start and a new beginning. Help me now to live a life of purpose where I can be used by you to help others in your name. Amen. Come on, let's tell all of our friends who pray that. Well done. Well done. Love it, love it, love it. Our church, man, we love seeing people get right with Jesus. That's our passion. And uh, uh, everyone needs a little help, right? And Today, we have QR codes in front of you. If you said that prayer today, and maybe it was a first-time decision or maybe a, a rededication, a fresh start, we'd love to encourage you to scan the QR code or drop by our Connection Center. We have a little fresh start team there. They will get you jump-started on this journey of faith. Maybe you're kind of getting back on track. We'd love to partner with you. We have personal trainers that will literally call you, you know, encourage you, help you take your baby steps in this new season. It's the great reset here on Easter 2022. Amen. Let's tell the Lord one more time how much we love him. You may be seated. Happy Easter, everybody. Pastor Elena.